It's Laban Ditchburn, and I really hope you're enjoying the podcast. The reason for this message was this. If you have your own podcast or your own YouTube channel, or you're seriously thinking about starting something up in order to get your message out into the world, I want to make something available to you. Go to podcastingheroes.com for your free five-day video training. Well, I will share with you five key tips and tricks that will allow you to reach out and connect with the best podcast guests available. And not only just bring them on, but to develop relationships with them that build into know, like, and trust that will eventuate in you being invited onto their platforms if you so desire. You'll be able to learn how to monetize even if you don't have a big audience. Go to podcastingheroes.com. It's P-O-D-C-A-S-T-I-N-G-H-E-R-O-E-S.com. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Nick Lee. Nick, welcome to the show. Welcome to Become Your Own Superhero. How are you, sir? I'm very well, thank you. Looking forward to it. I was channeling my Rick D's from Rick D <laughs> and the weekly Top 40. <laughs> and uh, you're doing a pretty good job. <laughs> I'm the son of a retired radio announcer, Nick, and uh, I think it's coursing through my veins. Uh, <laughs> it feels like it, mate. You're, uh, <laughs> you did a good job there. <laughs> Nick, have you ever had a career in radio or TV that we don't know about? No, I haven't. I um, do quite a lot of um, media stuff just through my um, foundation work that I do. So, um, yeah, talk a, a lot on TV and, and radio and quite enjoy it. I sort of started getting a bit nervous initially when I uh, first started doing it, but um, I, I really enjoy it now. And, you know, the other thing too is it's a great way of um, getting our messages across. So any opportunity I've got to to, to speak and get in front of an audience, it, uh, it makes a difference. Well, we'll give, we'll give the audience a bit of context. So depending on which order you're listening to these podcasts, and I know that you're listening to them all because they're terrific, but Dr. Tom, Tom Nemi, Nemi, Dr. Tom Nemi, Nemi was on yeah. the show recently, and that's N-E-H-M-Y, and you are one half of the Healthy Minds organization exactly yep let's let's quickly go through what that side of the business is again just in case people haven't heard all right so tom is a pretty remarkable man so i'd uh, if you haven't done so i'd I'd absolutely urge you to uh, to listen to his podcast he um developed the healthy minds um program back in 2015 um after doing a four-year PhD study at Flinders University to develop a prevention program for mental health. So that's all about keeping healthy people healthy and enhancing their performance if they implement the skills um, that he uh, developed and and teaches. And coming out of that, he uh, spent a lot of time delivering that program through schools. And and my background is much more of a corporate background. So when I teamed up with Tom, I... uh, felt very strongly that he had a huge opportunity with Healthy Minds in, in corporates and I had um, that background in corporates and one of the initiatives I ran through the Joe Lee Foundation, which we'll talk in a bit more detail about shortly, um, was a workplace program. So I had a large network. I understood corporate health and I came on board to um, co-design the corporate program of Healthy Minds and then get that out to as many corporates as we possibly can. So We've been um, doing that very successfully over the last three and a half years. And the thing that Tom and I are most proud of is the feedback that we get from participants that go through our program. So uh, I think we're sitting at above 98% of people who on our evaluation forms say that they would recommend the program to others. So uh, very satisfying work. Um, very, We know it's very important work and, um, yeah, uh, we're pretty um, stoked about um, how it's growing and how many more people we're uh, getting involved in the program, which is fabulous. Well, I've seen one of the evaluation forms. There's just one box that just says, are we any good? Yes or no? <laughs> yeah, and well, then... we, uh, we get most people <laughs> taking the yes there, thankfully. So uh, it's nice. Well, it's a really great initiative. And I, it's, it's a fairly new concept in the way that Tom explained it to me in terms of this preventative mental health or preventative um yeah, yeah, it's like preventative 
Mental health is a great way to describe it. And it's a, a novel idea, something that I hadn't really come across, certainly in that form. So absolutely like yeah. amazing stuff. Yeah, well, he, um, he really, uh, through that four-year PhD, developed the world's first um, prevention program, so preventative effect for anxiety and, uh, and depression. So that was published in a global peer-reviewed journal in 2015 as the first of its kind, and we haven't seen too many others that have the same depth of evidence base as Healthy Minds. So, um, yeah, as I said, really important information and um, not enough people know about it. You know, if you talk to someone about running a marathon, um, they kind of, even if they can or can't, they uh, they could probably give you a fair idea about how they might go about doing it. But um, with mental health, it's a different story. So, uh, yeah, it's it's skills that everybody needs to know and we, we need to get out there to more people and, and help them. Well, as, as fantastic as Healthy Mind is as an organisation, the work you're doing there, it's not the main reason why we brought you onto the show. And, and the reason that we brought you onto the show, I'll just preface with a warning that this next section contains death and poo in no particular <laughs> order. And we, uh, we were very fortunate enough to have Stephanie Bansomer Brown come on the show recently. Totally, totally unrelated, long before we'd even crossed paths. And she shared, shared her amazing story of bowel cancer recovery and that's kind of why you're here nick you able to elaborate a little bit further yeah so um that was actually my um foray really into health because prior to that um i was going back over 10 years ago i was a director at unilever so the big sort of consumer goods company that makes rexona and shampoo and Dove and um, food products and streets ice cream, all those sorts of um, brands. And I was living in Vietnam um, with my family. So I had my son, Jack, um, was four when we moved and Bella was two. And my wife, Jody, was a special needs teacher. Um, so she was teaching autistic kids at the international school in Ho Chi Minh, where we were based. And we were two and a half years into a three-year contract. In fact, I just extended to four years when... Um, uh, it was a Thursday night. I was in Hanoi with my team up there and Jody rang me saying she had some abdominal pain and she didn't really know what it was. And at that point in time, she was 39 years old. She was very fit and healthy. She didn't have any family history. So, And, look, bowel cancer wasn't even on my radar. Um, I thought it was an older man's disease. Um, so I wasn't too concerned at the time but suggested that she go off to the GP the next day, which she did. And the GP very quickly recognised that Jodie had a block, so she ordered the scans that uh, the results came back at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. And at 11pm that same night, I was away with my team, an ambulance turns up at our house and kids are fast asleep and, and Jodie is taken to Ho Chi Minh Airport where um, she's airlifted at low level to Bangkok for emergency surgery. Wow. Um, and the reason they flew her at low level was because um, the tumour and almost entirely blocked her bowel and they were worried if they flew her at normal altitude that she might burst her bowel. And that is, you know, one of the issues with bowel cancer. Often it doesn't throw up those early warning signs that you might get with other diseases. They call it the silent killer for that reason. Um, got or well, made my way as quickly as I could to be with Jodie for the surgery in Bangkok and that went really well. Um, they removed a piece of Jodie's colon about that long um, to get rid of the tumour. But three days after that, a specialist came to see us and um, sat us down. It's quite bizarre, actually, because Boomingrad Hospital in Bangkok is this massive public hospital and right at the main reception area where people are coming backwards and forwards and asking different questions, this guy sits down at a terminal and starts going through Jody's um, prognosis. And very quickly into the conversation, Jody started to feel a bit faint and decided to go up to her room. So I'm left there and a lot of medical speak before I asked the question, well, what does all that mean? And he said that the cancer had spread to her lymph and her liver was stage four bowel cancer and at best she had two years to live. Jesus. So you can imagine going from being on top of the world a few short days before that to receiving that news just hit me like a sledgehammer and I'll never forget going up to Jodie's room and sticking my hand on the door handle and thinking, what the hell am I going to say to her? How do you tell someone you, you love that at best they've got two years to live? 
And I waited outside that room for what felt like an hour. It was probably only a few minutes. Um, walked into the room, decided that sharing the news around time frame wasn't going to be particularly helpful, but said that we needed to get back to Australia where both of our families lived to commence treatment, um, which we did. And that period of time was really horrific, actually. It, uh, it, it, you know, Jodie was in a lot of pain. We had, well, she had three major abdominal operations. Um, she had multiple rounds of chemo. Um, she did a treatment called radiospheres. We tried Chinese medicine, tried absolutely everything and, and realised in August 2009 that we'd pretty much run out of treatment options. Um, so we did what I hope will be the hardest thing that I ever have to do in my life, and that was to sit my two young kids down and tell them that their mum was going to die. And we didn't want to scare them at the time, and we thought that Jody had about 12 months to live, but um, we wanted to give them an opportunity to talk to us about what was on their mind. And I, I think to this day, I think that that was a, the right decision to make, but uh, unfortunately, Jodie didn't survive 12 months. Um, shortly after that conversation in January 2010, she passed away from the bowel cancer. Um, and I'd had a, a reasonable amount of success with fundraising um, with the cancer council. I think I'd raised over a couple hundred thousand dollars for the cancer council prior to Jodie dying. But um, I just had this overwhelming um, sense of wanting to do whatever I could to ensure that no one else went through what, what we went through as a family. And of course, that's, you know, shared by your family and friends. Um, so that was really the key motivation for setting up the Jodie Lee Foundation back in August 2010, shortly after um, Jodie passed away. Um, and without having a medical background and being able to contribute to coming up with a cure, I just felt like if I could educate as many people as I possibly could to protect themselves against this preventable disease, we had an opportunity to make a difference. So bowel cancer, second biggest cancer killer in this country. We have one of the highest incidents around the world, but it's 99% preventable if caught early. So all of the initiatives of the foundation are out trying to encourage people to protect themselves. I mean, there's some simple steps you can take to, to protect yourself. Um, and we are just unbelievably proud of the impact that we've had over that period of time not only in in saving australian lives but also encouraging people to make healthier lifestyle and diet choices through our events and our education around diet and equally um, you know supporting families who have been impacted and providing them a vehicle for being able to um, express that that grief or, or place their energy into something that's really positive. So, yeah, it's um, it's something as I mentioned, I'm I'm super proud of and uh, you know love doing. I just I just get so much of a kick out of um, you know helping people in that way. Well, Nick, it's it's hard at times to try and figure out a really professional way to try and respond to a story like that. Because although it was 10 years ago, I, it affects me and I don't even know Jodie Lee. And, I, and I'm curious to know whether you telling that story gets any easier every time you tell it or harder. I, I, I think it, it has. I, I certainly know it's been therapeutic for me to be able to tell that story in a way that, you know, regardless of how many people are in a room, you know, it could be five or it could be 500, um, I always go in thinking that there could just be one person that acts on something that I say and that, that saves them. So it kind of makes it easier in that respect. But emotionally, I haven't found a way to protect myself from going back into that story and, and really getting emotionally charged um, by it. And I never know from one time to the next which part of it is going to, you know, make me make me choke up typically the telling the kids is is one of those um uh spots where i uh, I, I often struggle to get through it but um and, and certainly take myself back there but yeah um I, I think it's important and i think in terms of encouraging people to act on the messages having an emotional story and being able to engage with people not just their head but their heart as well um, is an important piece in in convincing them to act well I think it's I think it is fantastic 
Nick. And I, and one of the things I want to explore in because the, the concept of the show is becoming your own superhero, becoming someone that people look up to as a superhero. And I, you know, your kids must be what twelve and fourteen now, or pretty close to it. Well, they um, so this was ten years ago. Uh, they were four and six when we moved. Six and eight when so, Jody passed away, okay. and now um, nineteen and and sixteen. So I want to explore. So for people listening, that that it doesn't have to be a terminal diet, a cancer diagnosis, or anything. I, I want. I'm curious to know what lessons you learned about delivering those messages to your kids in a way that can help other people deliver troubling messages or messages of similar, similar sort of punch, if you get what I mean. Yeah, well, I actually think um, for both Jody and I, it was a big relief to, to talk to the kids about it because kids are amazingly resi- resilient. And I, I would, I guess we'd, been very much aligned on the approach of let's be honest without being brutal. You know, so you, as I said before, you don't want to scare them, but you don't want them second guessing you as to whether you're being honest up front and, and open with them. So we'd always taken that view, that sort of parenting approach um, right the way through. So it kind of felt like the right thing to do when we came to talk about um, how we would tell them um, and if we would tell them. And as I said, I still think it was the right thing to, to do. And actually, it was more helpful for us, to be honest, than I think it was for the, for the kids at the time because kids are kids and they, um, you know, bounce back from that news. And I think when we told them, they were more responding to the emotions that we were displaying in telling them as opposed to kind of receiving that news. And, and you wonder at that age, you know, six and eight, how much they're actually taking in and understanding um, about death and that's why we wanted to to put a period of time between when we knew and at that point we knew Jody was going to die we just didn't know when um, and by putting that bit of time in between you know we we really allowed ourselves the time to talk to the kids about various things and and explore stuff with them and and perhaps scratch a little bit under the surface for them just to see that they were going to be okay as much as you can be okay when you lose your mother at, at that age so I think it was the absolutely the right thing to do and we, we'd sort out a fair bit of professional advice around that as well you know it's not everybody and I certainly wasn't at the time either that um, is well skilled in that kind of psychological aspects and how to deal with um, young kids and adolescents with news of that magnitude so um, I think that's another piece of advice so you know I'd be transparent as you possibly can, um, be open as you possibly can without being brutal, um, but seek advice um, as well. So we, our approach was very shaped, very much shaped around the professional advice that we had um, sought leading in. And, and the lead up to it was much worse than the, the, the sort of po- the delivery and the, and the post because we were very, very anxious um, in the lead up to telling them and then once we told them we felt a lot better. We, we were down at Victor Harbour, which is um, a, a beach house town in uh, or beach town in, um, in, in South Australia and we, we told the kids and, you know, we took them for a walk afterwards and, you know, within half an hour of breaking that news to them, they're talking about, you know, is, are we going to see a whale today or, you know, do you think <laughs> that boat's going to come in and dock or, you know, things like that. So just sort of... You know, that really made us feel a lot better about um, the approach that we took and, and how we did it. Well, I might have a another story about Bum Road Grand Hospital that will help you remember it slightly more fondly with the current memory. Because I lived in Bangkok when I was 20 and I ended up at that hospital and ended up getting surgery back in 2001. And wow. And I, I was, so I'm from New Zealand. I had never really, I've been to Australia, but I'd never been overseas. And I got, took this job as a 20 year old and got this job working for a relocation company. And I played some tennis side rugby on a weekend and thought I'd hurt my lower back and I was in agonizing pain. And I went to the, to Bummer and Great Hospital, which is for anyone who, 
who doesn't know about the hospital, it's probably the most famous Western hospital in Thailand, if not that the Southeast Asia. Very famous for its breast augmentation. You can get a lot of high-end dental work done there, that type of thing, in addition to the, the surgery that you're talking about. And I ended up with a, uh, a pilonidal abscess in my lower, lower, lower back, Nick. And right. they gave me an epidural and operated on me and dug out this two and a half inch deep by two and a half inch across abscess that had developed in my back. And this is a next part's pretty funny. And I'm not trying to be crass here, but when I was lying in recovery, I was lying on my back and two young Thai nurses, who I think were just interns in their first year, maybe one of them picked up my chart and had a look and another one pulled back the sheet and Gave herself a wee giggle and went, hey, and I'm a bit groggy and I've you know, been operated on and, and I was like, what is she looking, what's she laughing at? And I pulled back my, the sheet and, I, and it revealed a, a large erection and I, I couldn't feel it because I had an epidural. <laughs> and, and after further research, I found out that epidurals in men cause erections, would you believe? Right. So, <laughs> Which is information <laughs> no one shared with you prior. <laughs> So not that you can do anything with it because you can't feel yeah. it. But, um, yeah, it's an amazing hospital and world-class. And I even used to get McDonald's delivered to my room in those days when I was eating McDonald's. So, yeah, hopefully that can um, – another memory that might make it a bit more fond for you. Yeah, well, it, um, I, I had been um, uh, back because to, to get back there at one other time, which was a slightly happier occasion than the, the time I was there with Jody. But you're right, it's a pretty uh, famous hospital and they do a lot of amazing work there. And pretty hilariously named as well, Bum Run Grad. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> I did look up the meaning of it actually um, recently, but I can't remember. Anyway, yeah, many things happen in our lives, Nick. Are you a believer that everything happens for a particular reason? You know what I am, and I actually think it helps um, get through what you've you've got. You know what the card that I was dealt with losing my um, my wife, and I, I sometimes I feel a bit you know guilty um, about saying actually there's so many parts of my life that I absolutely wouldn't change because I've, I've found my purpose and calling as a result of what happened with, with Jody, and uh, there's so many ways that my life has been enriched as a result of that. But, you know, I would wind the clock back in a second and bring her back if I possibly could. But, you know, there, there's just um, so many parts of my life and, and, and as a result, so many other people's lives that I've happily been able to impact um, in the way that I have through, um, you know, the bum and the head, Healthy Minds and Jodie Lee Foundation, um, which are kind of um, through research, they're finding more and more links between the, the two, which is interesting. But, yeah, I, I, I definitely do believe um, that and, um, you know, I, I feel kind of grateful that I've been given an opportunity at a relatively young age in my career to be able to find that that purpose and then you know run as hard as I possibly can at it um you know for the rest of the time that I can actually do that well you've got some pretty amazing brand ambassadors that you've had involved over the last few years can you do a bit of name dropping for us and let us know some of the main people that have been involved that we might have heard of yeah, well, it's interesting, isn't it? Because um, I, I had a, a, a successful sort of corporate career, but if you'd asked me prior to setting up the foundation, you know, would you develop relationships with some of these these people? I would have said, oh, you're absolutely kidding. How possibly am I going to, to do that? But I think one of the things that I found with finding that sense of strong sense of purpose was I call it a moral authority. I don't know whether that's the right word for it or not, but it kind of gives you this protective force field. You know, I'd be very happy to be accused of being too too passionate. And I, I so I would just sort of jump into to things or try and, you know, go down paths that perhaps I would have been too nervous to go down in the past. I, I love that saying, um, actually, that, you know, pursue something so important in your life 
that even if you fail, people are better off you having tried. Um, Amen. So I kind of, that was a bit of a sense that I, I had. And so we, um, you know, early on into the foundation, we were only two or three years old. We only had three people working for the foundation and we got $2.5 million from the federal government to run Australia's first national awareness campaign. So I built these kind of relationships um, in Canberra that were really, uh, really powerful. And it was Tanya Pivastek at the time, the health minister, who uh, was very, very supportive. And she wasn't giving us that money um, based on the capability of the foundation, albeit we had some early runs on the board. It was She was so taken by the authentic approach that the foundation had to protecting people that um, she felt compelled that she had to, to help and was so moved by the by the story. Um, you know, we have Ida Batros um, that came on um, as patron for, for the Jodie Lee Foundation as well and I'd sort of met with her when she got me on the Studio 10 show many, many years ago and then um, we approached her um, a couple of years back. She mentioned on the show that she lost her brother to bowel cancer so I knew she was passionate about it and so it was fabulous to have her on board um you know we we were we felt like not enough of the campaign spoke to 50 year olds which is the first time when you should be taking the government test and so um we went to two people that we knew were turning 50 last year Hugh Jackman and Shane Warne um to see if they would come on on board and and help us with a campaign um, Hugh Jackman, uh, his mother-in-law um, had a cancer that he supported and didn't want to confuse people. But Shane Warne said, "Yep, I'm in. Um, you just got to get a decent amount of money to create a, a big campaign." Um, and we actually got a pledge from the the Labor Party before they lost the election of ten million dollars to to get put behind that that campaign. Um, and we've okay. worked a lot <laughs> with the the AFL, um, so some big names in the. AFL, a um, lot of people obviously impacted by the, the disease, but, um, you know, John Longmire, Stephen Kernahan, um, some of our other sporting ambassadors, Isaac um, Heaney, Dane Beams, um, Oliver Florent, they've all been impacted um, by bowel cancer. Um, and, in fact, we've, we've run our workplace program at many of the clubs as well. And We had one of the players at Carlton Football Club who was a um, charity partner of ours, um, well, we were a charity partner of theirs, I should say, um, They who did the test as a result of, um, you know, co-presenting with me at an organisation and uh, and found a, a couple of polyps. Um, you know, there's a fit 27-year-old football player um, who did the simple screening test and they, they found polyps. So, um, you know, it is happening in younger people, but um, not enough people when they turn 50 take that test, less than 40%. In fact, less than 30% when they turn 50 actually take that test. So most of them go into to landfill, which is something we desperately need to change. So I suppose what are the things that, that your average Joe can take a bit more ownership on and be better at doing, in your opinion? Well, our vision is to try and um, uh, rid this country of this this disease and when you consider it is up to 99% preventable if you catch it early I can actually see a, a time when that that might be the the case but um, um, at the moment far too many Australians are suffering at the hands of this disease um, so with that with that vision of beating bowel cancer we've used that word beat to try and help us educate people and for them to retain the message that we're sending out. So B, the B in B is to be active and, and healthy. Um, and that's a lot of the things that you, you and I um, know about and many of your listeners know about, you know, minimising your alcohol content, not smoking, eating well, exercising, sleep, all those sorts of things help protect yourself as well as um, eating less processed um, meats, which is shows a link to, to bowel cancer. And one of the other ones I think we'll hear a lot more about too um, is sedentary lifestyles just just move more biologically we're designed to to move so get out there and and move more make as many excuses as you can to to move more during the day um, the e is explore your family history so about 20 percent of cases each year have a link to family history i had absolutely no idea um, about my family history not less jody's family history when she got diagnosed so that's important to understand that um, a, the A in beat is act on 
um, symptoms. The key symptoms is blood when you go to the toilet and do a poo. Um, so keep an eye out for that. But often the blood is microscopic, so you need to do the test um, as well. But if you do see blood, get off and see your GP. Um, unexplained tiredness, um, bloating, um, which is what caused Jody to uh, and that abdominal pain to get off and see the GP. Um, uh, change in bowel habits is the other key um, symptom to, to watch out for. And then the final one, T in beat, is take the test. And there's very simple tests. As I mentioned, the government sends you a free one when you turn 50 and for every two years after that. Um, and they're widely available from most pharmacies as well. A really simple test. Gone are the days where you have to poo into an ice cream container and take a chunk and <laughs> send it off. Um, it is really simple and takes less time than making a cup of tea. So uh, really important for people to, to do when they get that government test. Yeah, great. And I, I, I want to make it clear as well, um, Nick, there's, there's a lot of misinformation regarding diet at the moment that, that is being debunked by by medical professionals, and in particular, the link between animal protein and bowel cancer. And there's, there's certainly, um, you know, the, you talk about the processed meat side of things, we'll have an increase. But I think if people lump that with good quality animal protein into the same container, it's a very dangerous thing because the, the, the main cause, what they are understanding at the moment of most chronic illness, which includes cancer, is inflammation. Inflammation caused by environment, diet, stress, or any combination of those. And in my own health journey, and I'm not saying that uh, you know my my lifestyle of being a carnivore is you know the be all and end all. No, I had to eliminate plants to to heal a gut autoimmune issue. But certainly with the with good quality animal proteins really important in terms of um, you know you you eliminate the extra carbohydrate you need to have when you're eating a lot of fat and protein and that and that so really important for people to take responsibility for their own lives I suppose is what I'm saying Nick, that you you do your own digging you don't take what the World Health Organization says as gospel or what the pharmaceutical organizations say as gospel because they have been proven time and time again that, that they make mistakes. And I don't think anything's deliberate. I think this is just people doing the best they can with the tools available. But it's up to us to self-educate and take it you know, into our own hands, which just ties into with this being, being your own superhero. And I think the, the most important thing that you're doing, it's so great, is that you're just kickstarting that awareness of people like, you know what, maybe, maybe I shouldn't drink two, three glasses of wine six nights a week. And maybe I shouldn't, you know, chase away that hangover with a, with a McMuffin and, you know, three hash browns for breakfast, that kind of stuff. What are your yeah. thoughts on that? Mate, I'm a big believer of that. Um, and I think it's really, really important that you know your own body and how your body reacts to, to certain foods. I mean, I went through a period of time where um, I was trying to drop some weight and I was eating quite a lot of protein and I was dropping the weight, but it was clear that eggs, I was having too many eggs and my body was reacting to that. So I just kind of eased off the eggs a little bit. I still eat eggs and I still love eggs, but that was a signal to me that I'd overdone it a little bit. Yeah. Um, but also through doing um, and trialing different things. And I guess, um, you know, I what part of the foundations of events is doing long bike rides. I've done eight marathons. I've done five three peaks rides in Victoria, which is 240 kilometers and four awesome. and a half thousand meters of climbing. And so in preparation for um, doing the best I possibly could in those events, I would explore a few different things. And I think as a result of that, I now understand how my body performs and, and what works best for, for me. And, and you're right, I've sort of followed a few different diets which were medically backed over, over time. And I feel like as I've matured and tried a lot of those different things, I've found that right balance for, for me. And, you know, I know what I have to do. So if I put on a few kilos, for example, I know what I have to do to, to drop those those kilos i know what make what foods make me feel the best and, and foods that make me feel tired and lethargic um so yeah i i um, may, I, I absolutely in, endorse that um 
you know, and, and I think one of the things that we've had to do and we do do as a foundation is be very much um, medically based in the recommendations that we we do give. But, you know, I, I feel like um, human history uh, has a lot it can tell us in, in that in terms of, you know, I'm a big fan of um, having that, that balanced diet across the food groups, fan of eating, you know, th- things that are in season at, at the time because they're in season for a, a reason um, and a big fan of not eating things that are overly processed. Um, so, yeah, I, I'm, I very much endorse what you're, what you're saying. And eight marathons is a great effort. Uh, when, how old were you when you knocked off your first one? I was actually working in London at the time and um, with Unilever and it was called the Flora London Marathon. Um, As in the, so margarine, the, the margarine company? Yeah, it, it, it was. Uh, <laughs> Don't it was eat margarine, the, people. <laughs> it's terrible. <laughs> it was um, part, one of the Unilever brands. And so I thought, geez, I'm over here living in London. It's, it's sponsored by the Unilever themselves. And so um, I got involved and that was my first marathon. Um, that was back in two, oh, 19... Oh, 2001, and um, and then just got bitten by the bug. I did it the, the following year and then um, obviously six, six times subsequently. So I've done Gold Coast, I've done New York, um, Sydney um, and London. Wow, that's brilliant. Any ultras yet? No, no, you know what, and I'm a, a cyclist as well. Um, I find it difficult to uh, to get all that enthused about swimming, albeit I know how good it would be for me to, to do that. But the cycling and running um, is good. But having said that, I was told um, in 2012 when I was over for the New York Marathon after I came back, I got some scans on my hips and they said, uh, you shouldn't be running any anymore. Um, so I've sort of, that's when I went a bit cold turkey on the running and, and jumped on the bike, which has been, been really good. Well, you're a machine on the bike by the looks of things. And uh, given what's happening in the world at the moment, is what's the next major event that you're signed up for, if any? Well, that's actually um, in not this weekend, in uh, ne- next weekend. So in South Australia, um, we've got a trek coming up, um, which is an 80-kilometre event over two days um, across some sort of semi-tough terrain. Um, so it's a hike. Some people run it. I'll probably run a little bit just to get some blood flow through my uh, through my legs, but um, yeah, it's a, it's an outstanding event. And we like to do things at the foundation that really do challenge people because the advantage of that is people have to dig deep, and I guess um, part of them digging deep is getting them an understanding of you know why they're doing it and why it's important, and uh, are thinking a little bit about those who have suffered at the hands of this um, disease, but also very few people can actually do this event without training for it. So you're actually getting people into hopefully a sustainable behaviour of exercising. And, you know, people have a lot of fun with it. They get their mates around, they get their girlfriends. There's a high percentage of girls that do the, um, do the trek. Um, and yeah, they have an absolute ball. It's a, it's a, they challenge themselves. It's a, a really good experience. Um, they're supporting a great cause um, and they're doing it in the in the countryside, in this stunning countryside. So there's so many elements of that, you know, from a wellbeing perspective that is important. Um, but, you know, we've, we've struggled like any other not-for-profit. Um, we've had to cancel our Victorian trek, um, which was coming up um, in September. Um, and, you know, we've cancelled the New York Marathon. We normally take a team over there. I'd be surprised if they still run three peaks next year in March in, in Victoria. Um, so a lot of our kind of awareness and fundraising events have been um, stripped from us. So we're, um, we're, we'll, we'll, we'll come out the other side, but it's, uh, it's a tough time for not-for-profits. So we're kind of feeling for all those businesses out there that are really struggling. Yeah, well, I, this next question is a hypothetical, Nick, but it's a curly one at the same time. And it ties in sort of with what you're saying. In one of the other interviews I had with Professor Tim Noakes, who wrote the book, The Law of Running, which is the, the marathon and ultramarathon Bible, he's, he's a massive proponent of uh, low-carb diets and a huge health advocate in terms of being able to reverse uh, 
metabolic syndrome, a lot of type 2 diabetes, works very closely with Dr. James Mukey as well, the eye surgeon, um, Australian of the Year this year. And, but my question is, like you, I, wanted, I want to contribute to this whole getting people healthy scenario. I'm not a doctor. I don't have any formal qualifications. So I was thinking to myself, how can I go about this? So I've decided I'm going to become prime minister. And let's assume that I'm elected prime minister. Give me three or four or five years. And I appoint you any role within government that you like. So anything from, from the uh, deputy prime minister down, what role would it be and what would you do with that role? It'd be, I'd like to, can I wear two, two portfolio hats? I'd like to be the, yeah. um, the minister of purpose and I'd like to be um, the minister for behaviour change. Um, the Minister of Purpose is as a direct result of me finding my own purpose and how much that has enriched me in my life. And, you know, you don't, the shame is that I had to lose my wife to find that. Um, and, I, you know, you hear so many stories. I'm sure you've had many, many people on your show that have found their purpose through through tragedy. And it's a shame that people and myself included and clearly yourself have to uh, have or go through that or endure that to, to find their purpose. Um, so it would be finding a way of helping people get to their, their purpose through the experience that I had um, and have had. Um, and the, the Minister for um, Behavioural Change, I am so frustrated by the fact that so many people are dying of, of bowel cancer unnecessarily. And, you know, I, I outline those four simple steps, right? Um, and Australians are typically a very, very smart race. Um, we should intuitively and inherently get that and it's fairly simple things to, to do, but so many people don't do it. And so it would be... Um, you know, using the expertise that I have and, and probably more so now through healthy minds um, and understanding some of those um, psychological aspects that impact behaviour and cause people to act that I'd love to kind of be out there preaching that to the masses and, and getting people to improve their lives by acting, not just understanding. What a phenomenal response. And just for the audience at home, Unless I'm ill-informed, those two roles don't exist in the current political environment. Am I right? Correct. So yeah. this, and, and it may sound like I'm half joking about this political career, Nick, but in all seriousness, it's something that's starting to really drill in the back of my mind about how I can affect the most amount of impact. And a, a lot of the things that we were discussing earlier with regards to nutrition and the, the dietary guidelines and a lot of these other things which directly impact our health and well-being in this country and, and around the world can be, can be chopped off at the knee, I think, with some really strategic, clever political influence. And it's not about trying to get people to, you know, waggle your finger and, and do this. It's about cutting through a lot of the, lot of the bureaucracy. And the thing that I love about a potential career as, as Prime Minister, Nick, is that I am unashamed in sharing all of my demons. And I think the superpower that you have if you go into the political arena with all of your skeletons out of the closet, then no one can hold anything against you. And if you are of sound mind, I don't drink or do drugs anymore. I'm not a gambler anymore. Like if you take a lot of those things that get a lot of the other politicians into trouble, then you are far more likely to have a successful political career. And if you're able to be so authentic, like you are in, in the role that you have with the foundation and, and with, with Tom, you've seen the power of that vulnerability and, and how engaging it makes you as an individual and that these are the things that i think about and and becoming really passionate about so watch this space is all i'm saying and if i make Mate, it i love it <laughs> i love it well when when you get there not if you get there um <laughs> have a think about those two portfolios and let's have a chat um but uh yeah i think that um that lived experience that that you've got and that 
um, real, it brings a sort of an authenticity and, and clearly your passion is born out of, out of that and want to, to become a superhero and, and, and do good. Um, and I think with that at your core, and if you get that sort of through that, that kind of moral authority that I talked about, you know, you've got a real ability to break through some of that bureaucracy that I think inhibits um, our country and our politicians um, doing what's best for the, the countries and the individuals within it. So, um, mate, go for it. And, uh, you know, I'd be the last one to say that you couldn't, couldn't do it because, um, you know, as I mentioned to you before, if you'd said to me 10 years ago, you're going to achieve these sorts of things, I would have said you're, you're bonkers. But <laughs> now I wouldn't say that anymore. Well, I really do appreciate the encouragement, Nick. And I, and I think it comes from many years ago when I was a partier that I always wanted to continue the party on. I always wanted to, sh- to make it last longer. And now what's happened is well, now I've had an opportunity to feel as good as I feel now, now that I've gotten rid of a lot of those negative uh, contributions in my life. I want to be able to share that feeling of excitement and energy and drive that have, that have come out of this whole experience. Because if people knew how good they can feel when they start taking their life in their own hands, the world would be a really different place, in my opinion. It's a quite a utopian thought, but I think it gives you something to aim for. And so for that, yeah, I'm pretty excited about the whole thing. Mate, I, I reckon, you know, you're going to be dangerous if you've got a goal and uh, and, and you're prepared to, to chase it. Look out. <laughs> When's the next election? <laughs> <laughs> It might be coming up too quick for you, but following the one you're in for sure. Well, I've got to renounce my New Zealand citizenship um, as well. I might have to do a bit of a Barney B. Joyce on that one. But um, anyway, we'll save that for another podcast. Nick, before we wrap things up, are there any final parting words that you'd like to share with our audience? Well, I love um, love people to protect themselves uh, in the way that I talked about before. Those four key key things, because um, as I mentioned, it's a preventable disease. Um, Any time I get any sort of audience, I'm very passionate about trying to educate them to to do that. Um, and then you know this this idea around um, finding your own purpose, and and it and. You know, I, I started up a foundation to try and educate people about bowel cancer and now I'm doing um, that and, and mental health. It, it doesn't have to be um, those types of things. It, it, it might be, you know, supporting someone in your, in your family or one of your friends that needs help. It's just making a decision about what that might be and, and you've got to make sure that you love it and, and it energizes you as well i just don't think it's sustainable otherwise i mean i get such a kick out of the ability to help people and i think you know that's probably at the core of a lot of people's purpose once they find that and if they feel like they can contribute to society in that that way and people in that way it's so compelling so enriching and um, uh, such a sustainable um, approach to, to life in my view and you know you know I know from research and uh, through healthy minds um, is very protective there was a lot of research coming through now that says if uh, we have a, a well-being will that Tom would have talked to you about um, when he did his podcast um, one of the elements of that is around purpose and, and lots of research now pointing to that being the single biggest element in improving people's well-being and um, making them live a longer life so amen yeah act 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 do 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 um is what i would be saying around some of those messages the foundation since its inception i think this might be some old data has raised in excess of 12 million dollars how are those numbers looking are we pretty close? Yeah, you're pretty much spot on. You've done your research, mate. That's uh, that's the amount we've we've we have raised over that period of of time. So um, yeah, I feel like uh, there's an opportunity. Obviously, we're, it's a struggle at the moment, but I feel like there's an opportunity to to expand that. But even with that amount of money over that period of time, we've made a really important difference. So. Um, we've just employed a new uh, general manager into the foundation. I'm pretty excited about um, where we're going to take it in the future. Fantastic. And if people want to 
find out more about the foundation, Nick? How can they find out about it? Yeah, we would love people to um, educate themselves through our website, but also jump on our events section and have a look at some of the events that we have got coming up. As I said, we've had to, uh, or we've been forced to cancel a couple of them, but um, you know, we'd love your listeners to get involved in the foundation. It's such a um, healthy, rewarding thing to do. You can jump on our website, um, Jody Lee Foundation, um, Jody being spelt J-O-D-I-L-E-E Foundation, dot um, org.au and um, have a look and, and see what we're doing. The other page I love on our website um, is our stories page. So jump on there and you'll get a pretty quick indication of the impact that the foundation has had because it's people telling their own stories of how they've been saved as a, as a result of um, the work that we do. I have really, really genuinely enjoyed and just watched with absolute admiration, Nick, you share your story. I, I have gone through my fair share of challenges, but I haven't had to deal with uh, the, the passing of anyone super-duper close. And knock on wood, I won't have to for a little while longer. So I, I just totally admire your strength, and I think it, it's, it's incredibly inspirational. I think you are the epitome of someone that has become their own superhero. And you should be really, really proud of the work that you've done so far. And, uh, you know, if the world had a few more people like you floating around, uh, maybe it wouldn't be quite the place it is at times. So well done to you. It's been an absolute pleasure, Mr. Nick Lee. Thanks, mate. I've loved it. It's Laban Ditchburn, and I really hope you're enjoying the podcast. The reason for this message was this. If you have your own podcast or your own YouTube channel or you're seriously thinking about starting something up in order to get your message out into the world, I want to make something available to you. Go to podcastingheroes.com for your free five-day video training where I will share with you five key tips and tricks that will allow you to reach out and connect with the best podcast guests available. And not only just bring them on, but to develop relationships with them that build into know, like, and trust that will eventuate in you being invited onto their platforms if you so desire. You'll be able to learn how to monetize even if you don't have a big audience. Go to podcastingheroes.com. It's P-O-D-C-A-S-T-I-N-G-H-E-R-O-E-S.com.